You've got a team here. Superman can bring this team together better than I ever could. His strength doesn't matter how strong you are or what abilities you might. He's more human than I am. He lived in this world. Fell in love, got a job. Despite all that power, the world needs Superman. Team needs Clark. Welcome everyone to the 602 Club. In a world where justice is lacking, three men have gathered to see if they can find justice for a movie that hasn't been able to find justice anywhere else. <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Matthew Rushing, and with me tonight, I have assembled the league that will bring this movie to justice. With me, one of my good friends, John Mills. Hey, everybody. How you doing? That's right. Matt's got me on a show about the DC Extended Universe movies. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't expect to hear yeah. this voice. I know you didn't. Uh, probably not. No. Um, so, But hey, you know, at least everybody knows that I'm being fair to the film by mm-hmm. having you on, John, mm-hmm. because as we all know, you weren't a huge fan of any of the films previously, except for maybe Wonder Woman, which you thought I think was pretty good. That is an established fact. Yes. Okay, yes. so there we go. Yeah, and uh, to uh, complete the league, uh, this small round table, the one and only Bruce Gibson. That is Master Bruce to you. <laughs> oh, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm I'm sorry. Uh, Wait, I, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Do I know you? <laughs> I've got something in my throat. <laughs> excuse me. Okay, oh. I'm ready. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Don't even think about trying to escape. Oh, uh, boy. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm so excited to have you guys on to talk about this. Um, and hopefully everybody's gone out and seen Justice League. And um, so that you can listen to it because we're definitely just going to talk through the entire movie. So if you haven't seen it, I mean, you're free to listen to it. But just be aware that we are going to spoil it rotten for you. So, again, Superman lives. Um hmm. Before we dive into the film, just want to remind everybody that you can find all the shows that we do here on Trek FM on iTunes at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. It is a fantastic place to find out every show that we're doing here on the network. And if you find your shows and you get your shows through uh, pod, Apple Podcasts or through Apple TV, make sure that you subscribe to the show so you get it as soon as I publish it. And give us a star rating and review because that really does help people find the show when they're searching in iTunes for general geek shows, things that they like to listen to podcast-wise. The more reviews we get, the the easier it is for people to find the 602 Club. You can find us all over the place to talk to us. Hit us up on Twitter, TrekFM. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. We've also got our listeners-only discussion group, which all of us are a part of, and you can talk to in there about this episode specifically or any of the other episodes that we're doing here on the 602 Club or around the network. That's the Babel Conference. So if you're over on Facebook, type Babel into the search field. Or if you happen to be perusing our website at trek.fm, which is a fantastic place to visit because you can, again, find all the shows we do, see all the episodes, see the episode show pages. And on any of those show pages, you can hit discussion and that will lead you over to the discussion group. And if you'd like further conversation, and I've loved, we've recently been getting more emails and I love getting to to share those on the show with uh 
whoever is on the show with me that week and even share them here on the 602 Club uh, with the rest of the listeners, hit us up at trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and we'll be able to have that conversation. And if it's something that I think is interesting worth sharing, we'll share it with everybody here on the show. So um, we kind of established a little bit, guys, uh, going all in here with uh, Justice League. Quickly, uh, give us a rundown, kind of, of of where you fall on the uh, the different films, um, and uh, just so people kind of have an idea of where we're coming from. Um, John, uh, yes. where you know, if you were to quickly kind of rate each one of the the films that has come out previously, um, let everybody know that so they can kind of have a perspective. Okay, uh, I considered Man of Steel to be. Um tolerably flawed i considered batman versus superman i my reaction was kind of legendary coming out of the theatrical cut um i was not happy with it uh at all Uh, i considered suicide squad ultimately forgettable um and just you know there uh, and I enjoyed Wonder Woman because I thought that it harkened back to the old school superhero movies that I enjoyed watching growing up. Did I leave any what of them you, out, Bruce? No, I think you got them okay. all. Yeah, that's where. Yeah, we stand at uh, four with the fifth now. So, yeah, and I'm glad that John remembered Suicide Squad because I forgot about it. Until he said <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that one's on the bottom of the list. I actually. I was thinking after I saw Justice League, I was thinking about Suicide Squad, and I thought, oh, wait, I still have to watch that one. And then I thought for a second, oh, wait, I think I did. And <laughs> I had to think for a while, and I couldn't really... It, it is forgettable. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just... I feel like I have to go back and watch it again. But outside of that, that's on the bottom of my list. Then I would put... Oh, wait, we're not wrecking Justice League yet, right? Right. No, this. not yet. Okay. So, I Suicide Squad, in the middle, Man of Steel and Batman v Superman close together i'm not sure who but somewhere in the middle and then wonder woman at the top is my favorite nice and i i'm sure everybody knows this but i'll give you a quick rundown uh for me so far uh without justice league in the mix batman v superman is i think the best comic book movie ever made that's just where i fall on it so uh and you can listen to all the shows that we've done recently uh throughout the 602 club you can go back and listen to them uh, i think episode uh 74 uh is the batman v superman uh and then bruce and i actually talked about the ultimate edition in the supplemental 20 so you can check out both of those shows um and uh Together, for me, I love Wonder Woman and Man of Steel. Together, those are just, I mean, it, it I can't really pick a, a favorite above the other. I, I love both of those movies. Um, and then, you know, Suicide Squad. The movie is very flawed. I still enjoy watching it, but I am with you guys. Um, it, it's just, it's a, it's a really flawed movie, you know. Uh, there's no other way to say it. Anyway, that's kind of where we're all coming uh, from the film. And I want to talk to you guys because... Here, diving into the story here for Justice League, watching through the movie, I, I really did feel um, that it it does a good job of kind of connecting a lot of dots. You know, that Man of Steel and BVS and Wonder Woman had all put together and that the arc kind of comes to fruition in the sense of like, this is kind of the end of, we could call it phase one for DC, 
Um, and I, I thought that was, I thought that was really interesting watching a lot of those different pieces fall into place and, and get used here specifically. And I wondered what you guys kind of thought first and foremost about that kind of connecting the dots aspect. Well, I felt that I, I wondered if people who haven't seen Man of Steel and Batman v Superman if and Wonder Woman, if there was any chance that they may get lost, if it was too much connected to the other movies that people are wondering, you know, first of all, well, why, why, wait, why is Superman dead? You know, and, and, and his connection to, did they know that that's Lois Lane? Did they know that's his mother and so on and so forth like that? So it's, it's hard to say because we've seen the other movies, uh, but having seen the movies from my standpoint, it was really nice to just kind of delve right into that and feel like the story actually is continuing on and those other films aren't being abandoned from the storyline. Yeah, I I definitely think that there is... uh, It definitely plays as a direct sequel to uh, Batman versus Superman. Like, it just comes right in, and uh, I... To answer your question, Bruce, I think that somebody who comes into it cold will pick it up. Do I think they would find any necessary emotional resonance right from the get-go? No, I don't. Uh, I think that this is very much a a film that serves as, uh, to your point, Matt, closure for an open-ended plot line right now. I'm not saying that whether that's good or bad. I'm just saying I think people can plug into this. I don't know that it would resonate with them greatly. Because there's a lot of information thrown at you in the very... Uh, Batman's fighting a, an alien. Superman's dead. Wonder Woman's in Paris. Blah, 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 blah. You know, like, if you haven't watched beforehand, then it's just a lot to be force-fed to you. You can consume it. You can process it. You can get anybody, you know... I, I think that anybody able to operate an automobile and get to the movie theater is reasonably intelligent enough to <laughs> consume and process that. But I don't think that it hits emotional chords as a result. It's, I think it's very tough to come in to a movie that acts, that is treated purely as sequel as opposed to standalone. This is very much a sequel. Last night, uh, to kind of speak to this a little bit, to your question, Bruce, is we went with... Um, some of my wife's friends, a bunch of them, to see it. And not all of them have seen all the films. You know, uh, actually, a few of them haven't seen BVS, and they hadn't seen Wonder Woman, actually. So um, they've only seen, like, Man of Steel. So uh, coming into this, it was interesting. They all liked it. Um, We didn't get in too much about whether they had emotional resonance, but they, they all thought it was a good movie and enjoyed watching it. So that was interesting to have that experience, like, people who haven't been through the whole thing yet but I think you're absolutely right John they were able to pick up that the movie gave them enough to understand you know who the people are what's going on why this is happening all that kind of stuff even though it definitely moves at a breakneck speed you know the the film is like snapping its fingers uh going really fast which I think is probably if if I had one critique that's overall is that the movie's going too fast um, and it doesn't take its time to delve into some of the story points the way that it probably should, specifically speaking to 
Uh, I mean, we have, like you said, John, we have so much going on. We've got this villain. We've got things going on with the Amazons, with Atlantis, with these mother boxes, uh, with Superman's return. With, mm-hmm. I mean, like all of these things are all happening within the span of two hours. Now, I think, and, oh, we didn't even mention, we have three new heroes. Yeah. In the film. So all of those things are happening here, and and therefore there are definitely points, I think, throughout the story that you sense that there is something maybe missing a little bit in the sense that it feels like there should be more story for something like specifically the villain or those three new heroes or maybe just a tiny bit more time with the storyline of what's happening with, you know, the, the back history of Steppenwolf and the, and the Amazons and the Atlanteans and the humans all coming together with yeah. the gods, like all of that stuff. It's like, I, I just five more minutes on some of these things would be fantastic. I, you know, to speak to that, I will say that the, the beginning of it, I mean, and I know I get teased for anybody who's heard me before, you know, talk about, like I have this obsessive eye toward the editing of the opening of a film. I get teased for it because it's the first thing I mention is like, well, in the beginning they should have done da 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 da. But I really thought through this, Cyborg would have been such a better reveal if they hadn't grafted on time at home with Dad before he met up with the team. I would have preferred Cyborg to remain in shadow, and I think that would have freed up more time for other things to start playing out more completely in the beginning of the film. you If you lose that stuff and have the first time you meet Cyborg be when he's spying on them at the lake, you have mystery and intrigue. Who is this? What's going on? Is this the guy that they were talking about? And you free up a fair number of minutes earlier in the film to flesh out a few more things about Batman and Wonder Woman or even Flash or, or, or things like that, or even the parademons if you want to. Wow, I actually love that idea because I was talking to my family earlier today and I said one thing that I wish there was more of in this movie is a twist or or some kind of mystery, something that would keep me guessing or wondering what's going on. I felt there was a lot that was missing where I'm just wondering what's happening or, or who is this person and I wasn't really getting that. And I love that idea of Cyborg just showing up the lake and you just would see the back of him and like, who is that guy? And I, I love that would have been a better reveal. But maybe it was just harder for them to actually give his backstory from that point yeah. on. And, and I can see what you're saying, John, because um, because then the next time is Cyborg getting contacted having that conversation with Diana, um, which I think right. you're absolutely right. Maybe if you hadn't shown some time at home, um, then you could have, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I think that's actually a great editing choice. If you take all those other things out, you have the ability to find a way to insert some of those other story plots later on. Maybe mm-hmm. him and Diana can have a longer conversation right. and, and insert some backstory for him. Um, which, you know, and again, I think this is one of the things about the film. Like, you can tell that there should be more story for somebody like Cyborg, you know, or Flash or Aquaman. And you can sense that, I think, in the movie. But it, it's, it's been removed, you know, mm-hmm. so it can make it go at this speed. And that's a, a little bit frustrating. And, and honestly, for me, one of the most frustrating things about it was this, like, I, I feel like, Snyder from 
Man of Steel to BVS. Uh, you know, he worked on the story with Wonder Woman. So everything here all flows through to the point where we get here. And he's really been making this kind of like mythic retelling of these characters' storylines uh, on screen. You know, it's the first time we've really kind of had that cohesive run through all of these different characters and how they all connect. And the story that we get in the past with that Diana tells about Stephen Wolf's first attack actually is meant to inform the the story in the in the present and yet it there's not enough time to really spend and you can tell I think that they cut that scene um quite a bit just to its bare minimum and what I miss is that they pulled a lot of it felt like it was going to be something really epic. Mm. Like, because the scenes that you see in the past look like Lord of the Rings. Yes, they do. Like, they yes. look like this, this, this modern. It looks like Snyder is making a modern myth. Right. And yet they kind of pull that out and don't really, you really experience that. So it doesn't have the weight and power that it could. Um, so that when you're comparing what's happening in the past to what you're getting with the heroes now, it doesn't quite feel, it doesn't transfer that weight as completely as it should to the present. That like what those heroes did then, these heroes are about to do now. And that we're, you know, when Bruce says, I guess we're not getting the band back together, you know, to Diana, well, they are going to get the band back together because all of these different people are about to come back together. Man, Atlantean, Amazonian, Kryptonian now, you know, um, metahumans. They're all going to come together to make sure that the Earth is safe again from Steppenwolf. And yet they just, I don't know, the editing there makes it so brief that you just don't get to feel that full power. And those scenes, yeah. I got to say, the the effects for them were great and the, i mean the gods fighting alongside like all that and the green lantern so cool. we saw oh that. my gosh the green lantern, that was i yes. that got that got a, a tiny little yelp cheer for me because seeing the green lanterns in play i was like yay they're bad yes yes yeah. thank you yes. absolutely yeah. absolutely well and it, it was a what i loved about it was that it was a perfect way to introduce the fact that green lanterns exist in this universe without having to go it doesn't have to be an extra scene or anything mm -hmm. it just shows you that the Green Lanterns are a part of this world, and yes, they'll be coming somewhere probably down the line, so just get excited for Green Lanterns. I also want to specifically, uh, I, I, I want to shake whoever's hand this was, because they have the line, are these the new gods? And yes. in the credits, they specifically credit Jack Kirby for that. Yep, yep. And yeah. I, I turned and I looked at, uh, I actually saw this with uh, with Davis Grayson, who, uh, you know, fans of Trek FM know that name. Well, and he is an executive producer, yes. or, uh, associate producer on the show. So, yes, thank you, Davis. And uh, I turned and I looked at him and I said, in this one movie, Jack Kirby got more instantaneous credit for something than he got from Marvel Comics for decades. <laughs> I was like, you know, like, that's pretty cool. That's a, that's a, that's a, Good move on their part. I was really happy about that. I know it seems so silly to be happy about that, but when I saw it in the credits, I was like, hey, they did they did his estate right by that. That's good. Well, and it's such an important part of the story, too, because for comic lore, the new gods are such an important part of of 
Apocalypse and Steppenwolf and Darkseid and Orion and all of those things that you could expound upon if you ever decide, which they've left open, you could always have Darkseid come and be like, all right, I'm done with you mofos. Like, it is time to take you down because of what you did to Steppenwolf, you know. So they've left that door open, but by just giving a shout-out in the film uh, of Steppenwolf saying he'll join the new gods, you know, I I was happy too because that's such a great, like, door that you easily open just with one line of dialogue. And, you know, the new gods are pretty cool. Um, Yeah. And... They play a huge part in the DC lore, um, so I'm I'm right there with you. And and yeah, gosh, I, when when the Green Lantern came on on screen, I totally cheered. Uh, yeah. Like I was like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I you know, I um, but but just looking at that scene in specific, um, I almost there's a part of me I would love actually to sit down with Zack Snyder because I know he didn't. He said he yeah. hasn't even seen the final cut that they released. I I would love to just to ask him point blank: Was that scene supposed to be a prologue? The way that the battle at Ooh, the beginning of Lord of yeah. the Ring the, of Fellowship yes. of the Ring was a prologue was it mm-hmm. supposed to purposely mirror that? And because it would have played better, yep. it would have yep. set that up. And then you come in and right. talk about how Superman is right. dead, and Steppenwolf is back, and you yep. instantly know what the stakes are. Yep. With and Superman isn't there a lot of missing. fans out there asking for a cut? A Zack Snyder yeah. cut. I mean, a lot yeah. of people yeah. are asking for an ultimate cut, you know, for for Snyder. And I mean, who knows? I doubt that that will happen. But I mean, yeah, I suspect no, I, John, I love your idea there too because, um, uh, again, I want to see a John. It cut. also it also <laughs> mimics it also mimics <laughs> kind of the way that they told the story in Wonder Woman. Yeah. You know, um, and and that felt very and, and well, again, I that's kind of one of those connecting dots that I really loved, like the fact that, I mean, the gods were a part of this. You saw Zeus that you'd seen in Wonder Woman. You saw uh, Athena. Uh, you saw um, you saw Ares, the oh, god yeah. of war, mm-hmm. uh, with his huge battle axe. You know, just bashing into to Steppenwolf. You know, like that was such an an awesome scene and the way that it connected all of these different parts of the DC universe which is the the Amazonians, the Atlanteans, the humans and then of course like we said the green lanterns like it made it feel again I feel like this movie did such a great job of connecting that modern mythology that comics really are for us and I just wanted it I'm not saying it was bad I loved it I I just what I'm saying is I wanted more of it um so um for you we in the story we do go back to Themyscira and that's actually the first time that we see Steppenwolf and I wanted to ask you guys how that worked for you um going there um not particularly well um I don't have anything I I like Themyscira I like the the uh the the characters and, and stuff like that, but it was it didn't it didn't connect orga- as organically with the rest of it. Like I, I think it really continues to speak by. There's a certain point in the film where a lot of these you know jumping around things get you know finally ironed out and things start start flowing a little a little more organically, and it's after this point 
there's so much going on visually and the camera is moving around so much that it didn't it didn't play particularly well for me like i they needed to go there i knew why they were there i understood what was going on but it was something where then everything happened so quickly that it it i think it's back to you know to to something we we've, we've hit on already where it's like it just it needed a little bit more time it's hard for the the scale of what's happened to resonate emotionally if it's all over and like it played like a you know a little 5 minute vignette although i did chuckle seeing ronda rousey's uh brief um cameo in it um if it, yeah. yeah that <laughs> her her 5 seconds on screen was uh was a chuckler for me but uh, yeah you know i i just thought it played too quick um i'm not going to lie i i i worked past it i know that some people haven't but i don't like the decision to have gone completely CG with Steppenwolf. I yeah yeah I yeah. didn't. Yeah. And in this scene, I think that the scene winds up not playing particularly well for me because the whole time I'm sitting there saying to myself, I really wish he wasn't CG. I gotta be. I gotta make a conscious decision to be okay with this. And I'm spending the whole time thinking about how CG he is instead of just trying to enjoy the scene. Yeah yeah yeah. I, I completely agree with you. Same I. Here. I one hundred percent agree with you. I kept wondering why. I mean, he's yeah. a humanoid. There's no reason why you couldn't have a human actor playing him. And I kept wondering that every time there was a close up of him. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Syrian Hines could have totally been on the set. You could have um, had him there. You could have given him the makeup, and then you could CG the rest that you need to to digitally alter him um, the way they do with just about every other character that they need like that these days. So I don't know why they didn't go that route. Or or even put a big jacked up pro wrestler on there and then like use digital wizardry to like Matt Sierra <laughs> yeah. Hines face D- on there or something like that. Digital face replacement yeah. kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm i with you again. Um, one of the things, uh, I, I love being back in Themyscira, but I, I'm with you. I feel like it feels very, f- it just feels so frenetically fast uh, and, and not not an awful way, but it just feels like, we're having to race through all of these scenes and it's disappointing because it would be great to spend more time with Hippolyta and, you know, her lieutenant there as they're trying to figure out what's going on. It would be nice if um, there were able to be some more establishing shots of being in Themyscira and them traveling to this, you know, um, underground dome thing that they've had set. Like all of that stuff just to give you a better sense of where you are, why you're there. Um, you know, they do all that. They give you all the information, but it just happens so quickly that you don't really get to have the emotional weight because, you know, Wonder Woman gave us the Amazons and we all loved them. So I want to be able to spend enough time with them so I really feel what's happening than it just being like a plot point because I feel like, and I don't know if you guys agree, but I kind of feel like Atlantis feels like that too. It just happens yep. so very quickly. Yep. Um, and I know, I absolutely know, they were supposed to spend at least five to ten more minutes there. Probably five more minutes there because there was a whole scene with uh, Willem Dafoe, who is in Aquaman, who is meant to be one of the people that he talks to along with Mara. Um, 
about, you know, I think getting his armor and, and some other things of what's going on in Atlantis and that kind of stuff. Like, it just, it just feels so quick. And I think I'm, I'm not saying I'm not having a good time with the movie. What I'm saying is I'm having a good time. And what I want is more time with right. the story. Yeah, because you need the time for it to sink in and, and mm-hmm. feel it and, and feel like you're there. And when it's so rushed, I mean, when Themyscira came up, to me, it felt almost as if they were saying, hey, for those of you who really love the Wonder Woman movie, we're going to throw in this little scene in here, this mm-hmm. big epic scene that happens on Themyscira because you liked the Wonder Woman movie, and now you get to see another battle take place there, and we'll get that in there for you real quick. It'll be really great, and then we'll move on from there. That's what I'm not saying that was the intent, but that's what it felt like to me. Yes, I completely agree. Yeah. Well, and and the and I think that it's frustrating because actually, again, from what we had with the past story that we get with Diana telling what happened, these places are pivotal. Like the Amazons, the Atlanteans, they are pivotal to what's happening in this movie. And therefore, spending a bit more time with them isn't a waste of time because they are a massive part of this history, of this story. And I think by not spending more time with them, you kind of make them feel less than you should about their part in the film. And and that's where, again, I think us saying, hey, this movie's good. Your story's good. You just need to give me some more time with these these po- plot points so that I can feel it even more than I do, you know, as it's kind of... It's yeah. like riding a bullet train almost and just getting smacked in the face with the wind because your head's hanging out the window. It's just too fast. Yeah, and I, and I think that that is the, the clearest sign of the fact that they had somebody who was working on it where his mindset is clearly in the two and a half, three hour range for a film. Um, that's just how he's wired. And they brought it in and they, they, you know, they bring in Whedon and then they say, all right, this is two out. You have two hours, period. Make it happen. It very, very much plays as something where you can see the, the somewhat split personality of, of the film in, in these things because it's set up to take longer, but then it's fast forwarded. It's it's like it's on fast forward through the whole thing in this, you know, first act, this first third yeah. of it. I think the problem we have with modern storytelling in today's cinema is that we can go anywhere now. We have the technology to go to any environment. And so the stories become so complex with different locations and different characters and and so many different scenes that all of a sudden you can jam pack it into one movie but then there's too much different stories and too much settings going on and then you're trying to correct it and make it just one whole story but have all these different little pieces that you're putting into the puzzle trying to make one storyline where in the past years you couldn't have really gone to Atlantis and and Thermoscara and all these places. And so it would have been a simpler storyline that probably spends more time with the characters and more exposition and so on and so forth. Now it's like, we can go here and we can go there and we can show this and we can show that. And I feel like some of these movies are suffering from that. I think they're trying to do too much and not just focus on a really good, consistent story. Well, and I want to agree with you because I think, um, you know, I reference Snyder making modern myth 
You know, I think that he's been thinking of these characters in their films more in the idea and framework of like a Lord of the Rings, where each film is three hours uh, or, you know, a two and a half hour film where you really are spending time with them in their world and that they're important. And, you know, um, the storylines that are happening to them are epic and scope and nature. And that does take, like you're saying, Bruce, more time. Like you, you watch that three hour cut of Batman v Superman and you allow those scenes to breathe and you add it back in those story points that they cut out that didn't really help the theatrical cut them not being there you know again you kind of fill in the places that needed to be filled in in a way that makes it actually feel like a shorter movie than it did when you were just like what the is going on you know like in this movie i'm still able to completely understand all the storylines and one of the things that helps is that this Story and, and I promise we'll move on um, quickly after this. But the story is a very simple story. Like Snyder and 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 company did create a very you know uh, it, 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 the villains not complicated or anything like that. Those things aren't super complicated. But there is still a lot here that should be given the weight that it needs, and that needs time. And so that when you do switch to those other places you don't feel as though but i was just getting used to being in atlantis i was just getting used to being um a, a, you know with the amazons and you and, and all that kind of thing and so time is, is not a bad thing like it, i feel like modern cinema we've either gotten so used to to doing too much in one movie or just oh well we'll just make put that in the sequel um and then we spread things out too much so that you wait like 10 years for something to happen between the different sequels, you know? And and that's frustrating, too, because this isn't television, this is film. And so I feel like Snyder has been much... He's a filmmaker. He makes films, not TV shows. And so he doesn't think like that. So his idea is to put these plot points and these places into a movie, an entire movie. He thinks in the framework of a whole film that tells a complete story there, but that can also connect with what happens next time. And this kind of feels more like them struggling with that whole, well, we got to get it all in, but we got to do it at a certain time limit. Like any time that you say artificially that a movie has to be this long, you've hurt yourself immediately. Yeah. And then when I leave the theater, like I did yesterday when I saw this movie, I think, wow, I can't wait till this comes on video and there's an extended cut because I want to see the extended cut that makes this work better just like Batman versus Superman did. That extended cut played so much better than the theatrical cut, and I want to see that. I, I will say that um, the audience I saw this with um, was extremely receptive uh, to the film, uh, especially by the end. Uh, in, in the ending battle. And mm-hmm. the the reason I go there immediately is we're sitting here, we're talking about, you know, sort of the structural issues and, and taking these things apart. Yeah. But I will say that uh, the audience I was with seemed to go along with it anyway. So yeah. that by yeah. the end, there were people cheering and happy yeah. with yeah. everything. Uh, so, you know, I was I was surrounded by people and I remember looking around and saying, wow, positive crowd. It it was uh it, it was really interesting because here we are I like it, it's sort of a perspective check because I think that all of us 
that like to, you know, discuss, you know, how the film is put together, whether we had a good time, you know, have have these really great discussions. We're sometimes getting a little myopic about just this, <laughs> the most simple question of all. Yeah. Did people like it? Did the people who sat down in that theater watching it that were with you, did they enjoy it? And I can tell you that the majority of the audience I was with, I'm not speaking for myself or anybody else in my immediate vicinity. I'm just saying that the majority of the theater had a positive reaction. So for all of these flaws that we're laying out here, the the vast majority of that theater liked it. I, I'm really glad that you said that. Um, yesterday, it wasn't on purpose, but we were already planning, my wife and I, to go see it. And then her friends also wanted to go see it that day, so we saw it twice yesterday in one day. Wow. Um, I haven't seen a movie so twice in one day So seen it four since... times altogether. And, but what was most interesting Prequels. is that in both crowds, they were totally into the movie. In fact, um, by the end of, of our first showing, people were like cheering and clapping. And by uh, legitimately in the second showing, throughout the film, people were cheering at certain points and clapping. Like hmm. the 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 crowds were having a great time in in the movie, hmm. um, and I think that's that's something that you like you bringing that up, John. Like when uh, we in the the geek culture, you know, and the podcasters and all these things, we get so worried about like the the Rotten Tomatoes and all that stuff. But do people going to the movies that don't do this kind of stuff like we do? Did they like the movie? You know, and yeah. when you go and sit in a theater and people are coming out and they're like oh man talking about their favorite part or like superman did this and aquaman did that wonder woman you know kicked ass you know like that's that's what a studio wants i always think of movies to be like chocolate because you have a chocolatier that will tell you a hershey bar is cheap terrible chocolate and that gourmet chocolate is the best but most people are going to taste that gourmet chocolate and not care for it. It's going to be too bitter. But everybody seems to love the Hershey bar or the Cadbury bar or whatever the mainstream chocolate is. And I feel that way about movies where, in this case, the critics pan the movie. Most critics pan this movie. But most of the audience likes the movie. And it's like you're saying, what's more important? What the critics think or what the audience thinks? And to me, if... Everybody loves the Hershey bar, then it must be good. Yeah, 50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong, you know? And I yeah. I think that there's <laughs> a there's very much a an interesting split here because of the fact that I think that what happens is the critics aren't necessarily the ones being very much paid attention to, but I think that there are people who are the new evangelists of film criticism, the podcasters, uh, as it were, who very loudly go and tell people not to go see it and not to, like they're doing the work of what the critics used to do, used to be listened to. People aren't going to, uh, you know, um, Rotten Tomatoes half as much as uh, the people that are telling them not to see the movie are going to Rotten Tomatoes. Because the Rotten Tomato score winds up being a you know a debate point. Well, obviously it's not good. The critics only had twenty three percent positive things to say about. Who who you know? I can tell you if I knew nothing about Rotten Tomatoes, and I only went to this one showing, and paid attention to the audience's reaction at the end, I would think this movie's doing gangbusters business because 
this room of 400 people apparently thought it was great or thought at the very least when somebody comes in and they say, I'm plunking down my 15 bucks. I just want to be entertained. You know, sure. I just want to say that there was a woman in the row that I was in that at the end of the movie applauded. So, I mean, how often do you hear applause at the end of a movie? And yeah, yeah, it was just one person in the auditorium, but there was somebody applauding and I don't always hear that. I, uh, I heard more than one person applauding. I heard easily like yeah, several rows here. behind me uh, erupting in applause at the end. So take that take that for what you will. Well, I wanted to ask. Uh, I mean, we got so much to talk about um, in in the characters. You mean we're not done? Had. No, <laughs> the characters we've had before. Um, I, I, you know, having Ben Affleck back as Bruce Wayne and Batman. Um, I, I thought that this was a really interesting place to go, especially after BVS. And, um, you know, I, I, I came up with something in my head today that I really liked this idea of like why you see Batman kind of do this 180 and that his experience in BVS for him was his road to Damascus experience. Um, and for those who don't know what that is, uh, the apostle Paul, before he was an apostle, was a persecutor of the Christian church, and he has an experience on the road to Damascus to go, you know, <laughs> persecute more Christians, and Jesus appears to him, and his life takes a 180 at that moment, like a, with the snap of a fingers, he's a different person. Um, and it takes time for him to completely make the change, like he, he has a progression, but who he is makes a, a flips a switch, and I, I thought that was very interesting because we see Bruce Wayne have that experience from his what happened, watching Superman die, um, somebody he thought was an enemy, all of those things, um, and how he is now. I thought was really interesting because now he's reflecting what he learned from Clark and his sacrifice. And, and and kind of reflecting light, light back to others now. I mean, he does it with Diana. He does it with Barry. He does it with Arthur. He does it with this whole thing of bringing this team together. And I thought that that was a cool story to watch Batman, especially this older Batman, go through, that he still has thing to, things to learn 20 years into the game. Yeah, and that's why I like that this show is on Trek FM, because I'm going to talk about Star Trek here real quick. First of all, I saw a tweet come out today where someone says, oh, how convenient that Zack Snyder decides he's going to change the Batman character to appease audiences or something like that. And that's not what happened. You're right. In in BVS, we saw why he does a 180. And it's just like in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. It's almost like we see an older Kirk. And the death of Spock happens. And at the end, Kirk says, I feel young. And I feel that's what we saw with Bruce Wayne. When we get to BVS, he's an older, gruffer, hard times, kind of down on his luck in a sense, Batman. And then it takes Superman to die for him to almost realize to bring the rebirth of Batman, the real Batman back and Bruce Wayne back. And he feels young again. But again, I think that speaks to something that they should have spent time with our first scene with Batman, spending time in his mind with him with that or or what have you, or find a way to intersperse him into different things instead of having him fight the parademon. I think that this point about Batman changing comes out in the course of the film, uh, but it would have been nice to have spent 
more focused time with him establishing that at the beginning uh, instead of just, you know, with, with, you know, setting up the guy to bring the parademon that, that feasts on fear and everything like it, it, it would have been better to go that route. Yeah. And I, 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 I think, I think you're right, John. And, and, and that really harkens back to that whole idea of just needing some more time with the characters, even the ones we've had before. Um, and you know, I, I do like the progression, but I think all of this could be made better, even better with spending more time with them. And especially with, I think Batman, because, um, one of the things that I also liked too is just the way that Batman has realized his limitations. Like he he's and he has a great conversation with Alfred where he talks about his own limitations. He's he's really had uh, an epiphany about who he is and and maybe what's held him back. Uh, in fact, he even talks to the team about that too. He said, in some ways, all of us are held back when he's trying to talk them into bringing back Superman. And um, all of us are held back by some sort of something that that keeps us from necessarily always being our best selves. Um, and his argument basically is, is that that's not Clark. You know, that you know, Superman doesn't have that. That's why we need him. Um, and I think that's a really neat thing to see, that self-reflection that we're getting. And, and I think you're absolutely right, John, just some more focused time with that part in the story with Batman would have really helped Bruce become even more fully rounded as a character. It's great that it's there. It definitely needs, I think, like everything else in the movie, just, you know, gosh, you you can do so much in like two minutes in a movie. Oh, yeah. One minute in a movie, you know. So um, even maybe, um, you know, if you had had the prologue and then maybe you open the movie with... um, Bruce having a conversation maybe with Alfred or something or I mean or, even or, or maybe him having a heart to heart with Diana yeah. or something I mean I don't know but something that allows that to be able to happen I think would be pretty cool so yeah or have the conversation over the Superman death montage you know where they're, they're ah, showing yes, everything and yes, you hear them talking yes. uh, to give real yes. context to it and that winds up becoming an echo to the structure actually of Batman uh, versus Superman where he's narrating his worldview over the story of the mm-hmm. death of his parents, and then you have a narration of his re- rehabilitated yep. worldview over the death of Superman, and so you have a counterpoint right yeah. there. I this man, uh, Zack Snyder should have ha- hired us for editors, so and, and, um, <laughs> and screenwriters. <laughs> Terry's got an Oscar, it, so what? Yeah, I don't know what. I mean, who need Joss Whedon? We could have come in and done this for him. Yeah. Um. I so. We get Wonder Woman again. Obviously, she's a huge fan favorite now. But what I really liked is that they did not abandon the storyline from BVS about her shutting herself off um, Mm. from the world. And that they continued that. And it really played into the film here so that we see that she is still growing. And what I love is they found their way around that Wonder Woman still always was there when people needed her. She was always there to fight, but she wasn't there to lead. And that that's the thing that, again, Bruce is, she she's the first one he pushes towards the light. Like, he, he is thrusting her into the light saying, you should be a beacon. Why aren't you a beacon? Like, w- what's your deal? Like, you should be what Superman 
is, but you're not. What's wrong with you? Why are you, you know, like he really challenges her. And I love that dynamic of that he's the first one that she really, he really just kind of hits in the, in the soul with the, the, you know, the light of Superman's sacrifice and what she should be. And I like how she punches him back and he, <laughs> yeah, he, he's like, uh, you know, like it hurts. But I just that whole thing, like I really liked that dynamic with Diana so that we're continuing to give her depth and allow her to grow as a character, even though this movie is not solely hers. Like it was it, I thought it was really well done, honestly. I, I agree. I, I think that the way that uh, I think the way that Bruce and Diana interacted uh, was one of the stronger points of the movie. I wish we had more of it. Yes. I mean, there's so many characters, yeah. and like we said, there's so much going on, but it's just, even if it was, I don't know. I I feel like they just, if they just would have focused more on Bruce and Diana and a little less on the other characters, even though I want more of, I mean, we keep talking about we need more time, we need more time, but if you're going to have less time, then I say focus really on one or two characters and really expand their storyline, make the other ones supporting characters. Yeah, sort of like what they did to, with Star Trek. To, you know, you, you mentioned Star Trek earlier, but that it was always Bones, Spock, and Kirk, and then everybody else was around them. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, I also liked the way that as Bruce pushes Diana to be more of a leader, she does start to do that, and that light begins to creep out from her towards somebody like Victor. Um, and what I loved is the way that 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 mimicked what she did in Wonder Woman with Charlie um and that she brought back that that leadership that that kindness that um that joy of being that that gave them um the comfort level to be their best selves like she started to do that because of that ribbing she got from Batman and I thought that was nice because it it connected her back with the Wonder Woman we saw where she was truly Wonder Woman, where she was truly the light and the beacon that she was needed to be. And she was, again, forcing characters to become their best selves because of, of, of her presence. And I thought that was really cool to see. Um, we could talk about some other characters we've seen before, but I want to... Um, get to uh, one quick last point on, on those two I thought it was interesting that they parallel uh, Bruce and Diana by both making them deal with the guilt of feeling responsible for somebody's death I thought that was also really key you know dealing with Steve's death and dealing with Superman's death that they both probably wrongly but because of who they are they still feel responsible for these people's death um, and that shows the character that they both actually have the fact that they would feel like this and it would kind of give them almost almost feels like it gives them somewhat of a ptsd that has had them you know kind of pull themselves back of who they could truly be if they could let it go yeah i didn't think of that parallel until you mentioned it but it, it's so obvious now that you've you've said it uh but superman comes back where steve trevor has it or will he Oh, no, please. No, <laughs> no, please. No, No, I was going to say dead. No. Yeah. Um, quickly, I wanted to ask you guys because he only gets a couple of scenes. But how did you like uh, J.K. Simmons as James Gordon? Uh, he was. Uh, I mean, how I, I don't know how I could possibly judge his performance. 
You know, yeah. like he didn't do anything that I don't think another actor could do. There was nothing where I was like, oh, J.K. Simmons could do that one. I was like, oh, hey, it's J.K. Simmons. Cool. You know, like, eh. I came out of the theater singing to my girls, we are farmers. Dum, 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 dum. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had to show them that he was J. Jonah Jameson in the Spider-Man movies. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, you're, I think you're right, John. It's hard to judge. All I can say is, from his performance, I would like to see him in, you know, Matt Reeves' Batman. Um, whenever they do, I because I think he would, he will make a good Gordon going forward. Um, yeah, it's kind of hard to judge. So, um, uh, so hey, uh, we finally reached Superman, and the arc for him does continue. Because they decide to bring him back. But before we reach him specifically, I wanted to ask you guys about how they resurrect him. What did you think of that? Uh, Why not? You know, like, I I mean, you know, the the thing is you're talking about you're you're resurrecting a character, right? I like the fact that it wasn't easy, that they had to do something tricky and complex and the Flash had a part to play in it and Cyborg had a part to, like, everybody seemed to have a part to play in it. Um, you know, w- with the exception maybe of Aquaman and Wonder Woman, who were just like, "Hey, that's cool," but um, I, you know, I, I liked or maybe this isn't the best idea, which right. is where they're coming from, <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I think that um, I like the the mechanics of it. I, you know, again, it, it ties back into you know how they brought Zod back, and so there's there's that trepidation of, hey. What's going to happen? We've seen this happen before, and it went really, really poorly. How do we know that this is going to work well this time? And I, I like that because it, it, and I think that they conveyed it even for somebody who hadn't seen uh, Batman versus Superman that there was a danger involved in this, that there was a reason to be afraid of doing it this way. So you know, I like the mechanics of it. I, I thought that it was, you know, a good idea constructed uh, pretty soundly. Yeah, I didn't roll my eyes at it. It worked. I, I, I mean, I don't think there's a really a good way to bring anybody back from the dead, right? So, I mean, yeah. you can read the death and return of Superman, the comics, and I'm I'm pretty sure that some fans then rolled their eyes about the way Superman came oh, back well. because it was kind of eye rolling. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I actually thought that this worked better because it used all the pieces in the movie and what had come before, and. It had built that this is possible. Um, I like the way that Bruce talks about uh, the idea of this change engine, this mother box, you know, and this uh, undecomposing, you know, a, a body that can that can never decompose. Like it, he's always going to be there, and what all you need is the spark of life, basically, to come back and bring him back. And um, I, I thought it was very smart to to do it all the way that they did. And like you said, John, there is that threat because you've seen how badly this went last time. So you know he could come back really bad. Um, and I, I really enjoyed that uh, whole scene. And, and then, of course, when he does come back, I have to say, that scene when he's got all of them fighting him and he starts tracking Flash. Yes, yes. Behind that, him is one of the best, and I absolutely mean this, the best comic book scenes in the history of comic book movies. I, it's <laughs> so cool. Yes. I, I can tell you that uh, even this curmudgeonly old guy 
watching it was laughing out loud. And I have to give a lot of credit to Ezra Miller for the face that he made when yes. when when Clark's <laughs> eye tracks over and his face is so incredibly perfect. And it's so easy to just say, oh, well, you just had to make a goofy face. No, there's there there are a lot of faces that don't work as well in that scene. But he the way he plays that is so I, I mean, you know, I'm laughing just thinking about it because I thought that was just so pitch perfect. That shock of what what is yep. just absolutely perfect. I was telling my daughter today that that was my favorite part of the movie. And she yeah. started jumping up and down. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I remember. And, and we started laughing about the look on Barry Allen's face. But what I really love is when it's it focuses on Clark, on Superman, and his face doesn't really change at first. And then it's slowly that eye starts to move just slowly. And talking about time, they took the time to make sure that that scene worked just perfectly. And you're like, oh, my gosh, he's moving at the speed of light. His eye is starting to move. And then Flash's reaction, perfect. Yes. Yeah. Well, and it, and it what, what it sets up is just – and this is a question I, I, I want to ask you real quickly. So Superman is brought back by a mother box and flashes speed force. Does that make him stronger and faster than before? Ooh, could be. Uh, it's a good question. I bet I'm, it I'm does. Just, it, it, I, I was watching the movie, I guess, like maybe the third time, and I was like, oh, he could. they could legitimately say that he's stronger and faster now than he was before because of the way he was brought back. That sounds well, like I mean, they, a $6 million dollar man. You're yeah. building him stronger <laughs> and faster. <laughs> Although to, to to speak to that though, isn't there a point about uh, the messing with the DNA from Batman versus Superman with Zod, where it does the the thing you resurrect does take on characteristics of I, yeah of what it, could, it what is yeah. put in there. Uh, maybe, maybe I have to go back and watch Batman v Superman again. Dang! And you and um, you love that movie, and I might have just I blown do your love mind. That movie, I've already said that. But no, I mean that scene is. Absolutely perfect, and I think you called it out. It's it's Ezra Miller's reaction, and he plays the character Flash so perfectly in that scene that nothing like this has ever happened to him since he's gotten these powers. Somebody else being able to see what he's doing while he's in the Speed Force running, and it it shocks the crap out of him because it kind of looks like he wants to crap his pants at that point. Uh, like he, oops, I crap my pants. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's just it's so funny. Uh, in that scene, and I just love it. Um, but I want it. I, so Superman coming back. I thought it was interesting that it kind of continues this savior motif that we've seen. You know, in Man of Steel, he's the obscure man from nowhere doing these miracles out in the wilderness, and then he kind of bursts onto the scene when he's needed. Uh, in Batman v Superman, he's the rejected hero who still gives his life for those who you know may not even want him around. And then in Justice League, he's reborn. And it feels as though, to me, that this rebirth for Superman and Clark has lifted a weight that he had carried around before. That that there's something that... There's a fullness of joy now to him that wasn't there before. It's like he's been able to let go of the fact of the expectations that people might have of him and just completely be who he is without reservation without feeling any guilt about it that he's here to be a protector of truth and justice 
that's his that's his mission. That's what he's here for, to be that beacon of hope and that he is okay with being that even if people don't necessarily like him. And I thought, what a great way to kind of have that, you know, that, that savior motif to continue so that as he comes back, there is a change in him. And that that arc now seems to really make sense that you've watched this character progress to where he really now is the icon. Like, this is the icon of Superman that we know and love from the comics. Yes. And I think that's kind of a beautiful thing to have finally been on that journey. And now it feels like, like, my friend Courtney, who I do cinema stories with, she said, if I had seen this movie before I'd seen the other ones, I would have been, oh, Superman's just as, like, all, he's just as corny and dumb as I always thought he was. But she's like, after seeing those movies, he's earned the right to be able to say the line, I'm a big believer in truth, but also a big believer in justice. Because that's kind of corny, right? But you feel like she felt like he had earned that right to be that character. And so I just thought that was cool, especially coming from somebody like her, who she'd never really seen any DC movies for the most part. And she's kind of really liked them now, and she actually likes the character of Superman because of these films, which, how cool is that? Exactly, and what they did with Superman is what I was hoping they would do, so I was very pleased when this happened, and even my daughter, and I'm going to keep bringing up my oldest daughter because she's a big DC fan, and she really geeked out about the movie, and she kept saying, yes, Superman smiles. He's actually happy for once. He actually is happy and smile, and he seems to know who he is, and he likes it, and the rebirth, he's it's like Spock being reborn, you know, Spock's more in touch with himself. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. You know, keep making that analogy. But I have a feeling John has a different point of view on this based on his facial expression. Well, I I would just say that um, I, I didn't find anything particularly corny, and in terms of earning it, it's uh it's a strange place to be because, as you mentioned earlier, Matt, the idea of saving something for the sequel. I think that the sense of of rejection slash betrayal slash what have you for, uh, say, man, let's go all the way back to Man of Steel, is that I think people would have been perfectly on board with the Superman that they had through that if at the end of it he had come to that moment of being happier and secure the way that he is here instead of being told, well, that'll come, that's coming next, that's coming next. And then you go through Batman versus Superman and you're told again, that's coming next, that's coming next. And I'm not saying that to tear down anything you like or or this movie or anything like that, but I'm just saying that this is specifically a fulfillment of the promise that we were continually made that don't worry, we're going to get there. We're going to get there, we're going to get there. And so that's, I think, where you have the, why it plays particularly well here is that this is the Superman. This is where we wanted him to get to. It's just that it took spread out over several films and several years to get there. Now, in terms of the portrayal of Superman, I, I agree. He He's, I really like what they did with him here. And I think that even visually his suit is brighter again. His suit is a brighter blue and red. And I think that that also is your visual cue. We're, we're where we said we were going to get, guys. 
And I, I really enjoyed seeing his brighter outfit. I was like, oh, okay. And it, it seems so trivial. It seems so uh, prejudgmental. But when something is the way that it is for so long and, you know, you, you mess around with it, you, like you, patience is a fickle thing. And it's just, I, I was overjoyed just to have a, you know, a brighter boy in blue back on screen. Well, and, and I, I mean, I am glad to have that there too, you know, I, I, but for, for me as a person, I've always responded to the fact that I knew that this is where Snyder was going to get us. Right. But I was interested in the journey on how he'd get us here because I'd never seen that before. Again, it's just not something we'd ever seen on screen. And I just, I appreciate for me personally, I really appreciate this journey. I'm a massive Superman fan. So uh, to, to, to see how Superman makes this progression on film now is really cool to me. And I love uh, the way Cavill plays him. He has a sense of like joy and competence and, and just vitality. And um, there's a moment where he's a slightly arrogant where he's fighting uh, – Steppenwolf and Steppenwolf goes to punch him and you see his face as he just kind of watches the punch pass him and smirk a little bit like too slow bro too slow and he's just enjoying that fact and like when he and Cyborg you know pull apart the the mother boxes and then they're like he's like no I take it back I wish I was dead because he's in because of what just happened and they laugh together and it just it feels like joy and that joy Having that in that character, again, I feel like they earned that joy being there for this Superman, and I love that. And, 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 and I, I'm just I'm glad that it's here, but I, I, for me personally, I enjoyed the ride that we were on with the character. And, and Henry Cavill, to me, is an f- amazing Superman, and I, 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 I challenge anybody who says they don't want another Superman movie after seeing what happened in this movie with his performance and just the the fun of having him be this character. Yeah, no, I I will say even though I didn't, you know, you, you know, we we covered how I felt about everything blah blah blah. Um if this is the Superman I would get in another Superman movie, sign me up. I'll I'll buy a ticket today. Yes. If this is the Superman I'm going to get, I'm on board for it. Absolutely. Me too. Me too. I love him. I think he's great. He says a great job. Um, that battle scene, and this has nothing to do with the Superman character, but you're talking about those different moments with uh, Superman and, and the levity that he had during the scene. But one thing I liked about the scene uh, during the battle, one of the scenes I liked was when Flash goes and pushes the, the pickup truck out of the way <laughs> and then Superman yeah. flies by with a building. I mean, that's yes. yes. <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, and, and even that, I mean, I, I, I just want to call it a little moment. There's there's this really classic from the comics Superman thing where he's running next to the Flash and Flash sees him show up. He's like, slow poke. Uh, and he's like, okay, you take the ones on the left. I'll take the ones on the right. And that's such a Superman thing to do to immediately just kind of take charge of the situation in, in like that leadership way, but in uh, just... I don't know. Everything about it was like, this is 
oh, it's it's everything I've always wanted. And and the fact that I got to take the journey and see him get here is just it makes it all that more exciting to me. But now that we're here, I can't wait for more. And so for the love of all that is holy on Krypton and the holy God of Rao, DC Comics, if you're listening, uh, Jeff Johns, if you're listening, if Warner Brothers Pictures, you happen to be listening, please make Man of Steel 2. Please. Anyway, that's just my call. Um, New heroes. We got new heroes. Uh, We've talked a little bit about Flash, but um, I wanted to ask you guys, because Bruce, I know you've watched the TV show, so you're familiar with that, but what did you think of Ezra Miller as as Barry Allen in The Flash and, and his story here? Uh, I I thought he was great. Uh, I thought he was perfectly cast. I didn't compare him to the TV show. It's not like I got them confused or anything. And the approach is a little different between what the the TV show has done and what was in this movie. And he was basic. He was really the comic relief, but he was so much fun in this. Even when at one point, uh, you know, they're talking to Jim Gordon, and Jim Gordon turns around, and the Flash is the only one still standing there. And he's like, "Oh, I, I, I guess they <laughs> left." You know, I mean, just little moments. That's like rude. That. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was definitely what we needed in the weight of this movie was to have the one character that's the comic relief, and 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 I really enjoyed him a lot. I, I, I'm some ways I'd want to say I kind of like this Barry Allen better than the TV show, maybe. Wow, that's huge yeah. for. I mean, I I'll be really interested to see if other people agree with you, but that's that's a huge statement because Grant Gustin really earned a lot of love. Oh, so and, that's and I love him man. too, but I just think I like. I, I just like that he's a little uh, more funny than the one on the TV show. Gotcha. And that's just my personality because I'm a funny guy. It's true. Yeah. You really are. I mean, it like looks aren't everything. So what? <laughs> what? What? Uh, hey, what about you, John? Uh, I have never watched the Flash TV show. Uh, maybe I saw an episode, uh, but uh, I thought that uh, Ezra Miller was a scene stealer. I thought that he was great. I loved every second he was on screen. I thought that he was. Uh, pardon, pardon this turn of phrase. I thought he was electric. Um, and I, uh, I, I did. I really enjoyed him. I thought he was great. I like, if you told me he's got a movie coming out, I'd be like, okay, I'll go see it. Like I would see, he, although I will say that he is very, very funny, but he might be more like the Hulk or Thor where they're better as side characters and not main characters. I, I, I think... What makes this interesting is that we're seeing him right at the beginning of his storyline. You know, Barry Allen is famous for being a, uh, you know, crime scene investigator uh, as a forensic scientist and everything. And this Barry isn't that yet. And so it will be interesting to see when, you know, their their plan has been to do his own movie and it's supposed to be Flashpoint. Um, and so it will be very interesting to see this Barry Allen deal with those massive issues that he's going through um but i mean i thought not only was he funny but i thought he was compelling in the scenes that he had with his father um when uh, i thought those were yeah, really well acted and he was able to pull off super funny but he was also able to make you feel as a character who is struggling with the fact that he knows his dad isn't responsible for this murder and his dad at the very beginning of the film telling him no you you need to leave me alone. You need to you need to stop seeing me. Like I'm just a dragging down your life. And like as a child, how painful that was. And the way he plays, I really I thought he could do both so well. So I think that bodes well for them doing a flash movie. And I have to say, 
you know, I'm right there with you guys. Heck, I'd plunk my money down today to go see the Flash movie because I, I thought he was fantastic. So Yeah, and speaking of the scene with his father, those scenes were done very well. I really enjoyed those. But that also reminds me of another side thing to that is when Barry's uh, checking into the jail to see his father and he has to fill out the paperwork and sign it. Yeah. Did you notice <laughs> who the the security guard was there that was given the paperwork? No. It was the guy who played Jimmy Olsen in the 70s and 80s Superman movies. No. Really? Yes. Really? Yes. That's oh, awesome. Wow. No, I didn't catch that at all. That's great. Yeah, John, we got to go see it again. Uh, so, um, so what about uh, Jason Momoa as uh, Arthur Curry, also known as the Aquaman? I loved him. I, I, I did. I loved him. I, uh, I'll go see his movie now. Uh, I liked his whole attitude and his mentality, and the thing that I loved about him was that Jason Momoa seemed to be having a blast. He just seemed to be having a lot of fun, and if the actor's having a lot of fun, I'm having a lot of fun. Cool. I'm on board with him. Yeah, absolutely. I loved him. I thought he was great. I love what they did with the Aquaman character. I'm glad to see Aquaman on the big screen and see him underwater and swimming around and manipulating the water and having super strength and all the things that he was doing. It was like Aquaman's a really cool character and uh, better than he was on the Super Friends. I'll tell you that. And, you know, <laughs> I thought he was yes. and, yeah. And, and what's cool about, I thought about him is that he's not quite the Aquaman that we know. Like, obviously he still has his story to go as well. And, and like even the whole joke we've had a couple times in the film of can you talk to fish like even Jason Momoa said that that's something that you will probably see develop as his powers continue to grow as he embraces who he is in his film and I think that's exciting that they don't give it all away here like they don't give you everything about Aquaman they just kind of give you this you know dude bro uh, surfer biker Aquaman who has a heart that you want to know more about. Like I thought that that was really well done. And, and like they did with Wonder Woman and BVS, they give you a great cool character that you're like, well, crap, I want her movie now. Like I feel the same way about Aquaman. Not only that, but the scenes with they did in Atlantis made me think, dang, Aquaman is going to be such a cool movie because we've legitimately never seen anything like this before in a comic book film. They're actually going to do a comic book movie where you're going to go in and the visual language of it and everything else about it is going to feel new. It's going to feel fresh. Uh, and that's yeah, exciting to actually get a, a film like you're like, I don't know what to expect. We've had movies on Earth. We've had movies in space. We've never had a movie underwater like this. It, that's exciting. Um, and I, his whole scene where he's sitting on the lasso of truth, yes. <laughs> it gets me every yeah, time. Yeah, that 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 was that was a very well played scene. Uh, yes, uh, he's even. Like, but man, there's there's an S I want to do. I don't want to die. Yeah, no, I uh, or you know, and, and when he walks up to the Flash, he says, "If you ever breathe a word of this," and the Flash just goes, "I I I didn't hear anything after he said we're all gonna die." You know, like yeah. I just that was that was a good laugh laugh scene. It was great. Um, well, Ray Fisher, uh, Victor Stone, and Cyborg. Um, what did you guys think about him as our last new main character? 
Uh, yeah, I thought okay. I I, th- I thought he did a good job. Um, I think that it it was difficult because I would. I I mean, this would be another thing where I ping the CG because I found that him being completely CG was distracting. Um, I like I I kept wondering why they couldn't at least just build the helmet piece to go on him because I would have been less distracted by everything else going on. Like build, build something that like goes over his shoulders or something. And so that my immediate visual focus is on reality. And then you know, it's sort of like, I still wish to this day that in Phantom Menace, they had gone with the idea of just animating Jar Jar's head and leaving Ahmed best in the suit for the rest of it, because I think it would have anchored the character in such a way that I would have, I, I would have had to do less visual amelioration in my brain and I think that's the same thing that, that would have played here with Cyborg. And I think that they introduced him too early, should have had the mystery with him, and I would have been more intrigued as a result uh, of you know of what was going on with the character. I don't think there was anything wrong with the performance at all. I think that it was just the the visual decision that they made to have him be, you know, pretty much all CG didn't didn't work well for me. There wasn't a whole lot to this character as much as I felt that there were with the others. I mean, I think we got a little more story with this character than some of the others, but I didn't feel like there was a whole lot of personality to the character as there was with the others. I mean, there were some moments like with Flash with, you know, the fist bump, you know, rejecting it. But I also feel like, you know, it's where this character is at this point. It's, you know, he's just... He's just kind of finding his place and just starting to figure things out. And I think because of that, it restrains the characters more than what we could have gotten from him. And I think we'll see more maybe in later films. But yeah, I, I had no problem with the performer. I think Ray Fisher did a great job, but it's just I wish he could have done more with him. Yeah, I, I agree with you both for the most part. Um, I found myself really liking the character and, and wanting more of his story because I know there's more to it. And we even saw it in the trailers, um, scenes, uh, you know, from his life previously, uh, being a football star and all that kind of stuff be really interesting. Um, I do, I, I want to call out Ray Fisher, though. I think his performance is actually really well done because of the way he's, the nuances he adds to this character of, being somebody who kind of always has something running in his head and not completely always understanding it all and not even understanding what's happening to his own body. That moment where uh, he hears his own name called out by Alfred and he kind of has his hands start to glow and finds out he can, like, you know, run through pictures and all this stuff through his hands and all of that he does this kind of like movement where he kind of like sits up and it's like, he's not comfortable in his own body. So there's some really great scenes where they do that. Um, I, I also think John, it's interesting if they had maybe gone with the classic cyborg look that they give you at the very end of the movie where it's not quite as busy, uh, of a CGI look. I think that probably would have helped too. I think what they were trying to do is show that he's not fully formed in any way, shape, or form as a character, and they go for that visually. But it's also a lot more complicated to do CGI-wise, and it probably would have been helped if they had gone simpler for some of that. And especially if there were any scenes that he had to do uh, 
in the reshoots, they have a lot less time to do that. So right, yeah, um, yeah. But I, I mean, I, yeah. For me, I, I really enjoyed the character, and I, I would like to see more of him. And I'll be interested to see if we ever do get a solo movie with him because I, I found his performance, and I think it's really important to have a technological character anyway in the Justice League because they're so important today. Um, it makes so much sense to have a character that can do this kind of stuff uh, in the league, you know, uh, with everything being about technology. So um, we've talked to some about him, uh, but the villain of Steppenwolf, um, I, I wanted to to ask you guys uh, what you thought about him and, you know, what they do with him as a character in the film. The... The CGI again was distracting, um, and I think it it took away. I mean, you know, I I've I've read a couple of places, uh, you know, really beating up on on Steppenwolf as a character, and I would say he's just your. I mean, like I don't want to sound like I'm being like you know delivering like a harsh criticism or anything, but it. It's one of those things, the best way I can put it, I guess, and I'm sorry for stammering so much because I'm just looking for the right words, but in a lot of ways he's like, uh, because I just saw the movie recently uh, as well, he's like uh, Hela in Thor Ragnarok, mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, you're the villain. Okay, yeah, you're you're who the heroes have to beat. Okay. You know, like I, I didn't feel any special threat from him. I didn't feel any special... Uh, fear or hatred for him or anything. It was just you're, he felt like a plot point to me where it's like, yeah, okay. I know, I know they're going to kick your ass by the end of this. So, you know, just let's hang out for a little bit. Yeah. I feel the exact same way. It it didn't bother me. I mean, it's not like it came out of the movie and ugh, the villain I, you know, ugh, that ruined the movie or I didn't even leave the movie theater thinking much about the vil- villain because this movie is about the justice league. And those were the characters I cared about. And if he's just a plot point to this, to bring them together and then have a battle at the end, I'm fine with it. He could have been a more compelling villain, but I didn't think we needed that in this movie. It worked fine as it was. Now, again, if we had more time or whatever, then yeah, I'd like to really develop a real deep, you know, meaning villain of some type and get to know more personally. But I don't see that possible with this one. But it, he was there. He was the villain, and they beat him up, and they won, and yay. <laughs> That's all. Now, now the the one thing I will say is I do like the way that they killed him at the end. Spoilers. Um, mm-hmm. Or if he's dead. I don't know if he is dead because uh, he got away in his big blue tunnel. But the uh, the way that they turned it where, you know, do you smell that? Yeah, fear. And that's what the you know they've established the parademons feed on. I thought that was nice. That w- that was a good way to get rid of him. Um, but uh, you know, yeah, he was there. Yeah, I I mean I agree with you guys. The villain is is not the strongest in this movie. Uh, he's not meant to be in this sense because the like you said, Bruce, the focus is the Justice League uh, and putting that team together. And you need somebody who's super powerful to want to bring all of these heroes together. So that's what he needs to be. Um, he's the MacGuffin, right? Actually, you're right. Yeah. He's the MacGuffin that brings the team together, and and that's uh, when we start to think about that. I mean, uh, 
it makes sense. Like, you don't need him to be the most deep or anything like that. Now, we will say, going all the way back to the beginning of the conversation, if the prologue, if there had been that prologue or that story that Diana tells had more, more, been more fully fleshed out, I think you would have felt more with this villain. The only thing I will say after seeing the movie a few times, it is interesting that he talks about the idea of uh, power being the ultimate and there is nothing else. And that it's interesting because the way that it bounces off what Bruce says to Alfred about Clark, that he has all of this power. He is a god on earth or could be a god on earth. And yet what does Clark do with that power? He's more human than just about any human. He lives as a man. He gets a job. He falls in love, and he uses the power that he has only to benefit others. And the two dichotomies of the way in which you use power are mirrored between Steppenwolf and Clark. And I thought that was really, really interesting because Steppenwolf has the same type of power that Clark has. Um, And yet what you do with that power and how you allow it to affect you is very interesting. And they, they always say, I mean, the saying is ultimate power, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Clark has absolute power, but it's what he believes. It's who he is that changes what he does with that power. And it doesn't corrupt him because he has such ingrained ideals and standards and values that he will not compromise. Uh, And I think that's a really interesting thing. And so in that way, I found the villain slightly more interesting just because we are comparing these two characters that we've seen uh, and throughout the DCU and, and having a character that only cares about power come in faced with the most powerful character that we have in the DCU up to this point in these films, Superman, go head to head and what they do with their power was was a nice was a nice touch i thought um and it, and that kind of leads me to to one thing that i thought was really interesting is that, that we get the whole idea of darkness and light in the film and and the other thing that steppenwolf is really all about is this he keeps talking about the unity and the way that for him Unity is the mother boxes coming together and destroying everything and everybody worshiping him and being one under this like lockstep uniformity and conformity. Whereas this, the league is all about bringing your individual gifts and talents together in harmony to help others. And I really thought it was beautiful because I think that it in many ways is the fulfillment of Jarrell's prophecy to Clark all the way back in Man of Steel, where he says, you know, the people, uh, you will give the people of Earth an ideal to strive towards. They will race behind you. They will stumble. They will fall, (laughs) the flash. But in time, they will join you in the sun, Cal. In time, you will help them accomplish wonders. And that that happens in this movie. Like, we see the fulfillment of that finally, that saying, that prophecy from his father here. And I really love that because we also see the same prophecy of, Jonathan Kent fulfilled. You just have to kind of, you just have to decide what kind of man you want to be, Clark. Because who, whoever that man is, good man or bad man, he's going to change the world. And in both of those, he is finally fulfilling the prophecies of his fathers. And I think that's really cool that Snyder finally gets a chance 
as much as possible with what he gets to do in the film, uh, even though he had to leave, that that, I think, still comes. That the the light is is back in this, this DCU because of Superman. Sorry, I think I just pontificated, and I apologize. But um, no, that's okay. We were uh, we were nodding silently in agreement. So, and Excellent. we we forgot. Excellent. Well, thank you. We forgot for a moment that uh, that this is not a visual medium. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> yes. and I was just thinking, like, oh yeah, that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> were there any other action scenes that you really liked in this film that we hadn't talked about? Uh, I think, th- uh, to be honest with you, I thought that the Action scenes played better than I expected. Um, I actually had uh, some problems. I registered some problems uh, in past DC Universe movies with the way that they 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 used the 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 slow mo and the stuff like that. I thought that this was a much more refined method. Uh, like it, it's like they finally got it to the point where I was like, oh, okay, I like what you guys are doing here. As opposed to in previous iterations, I was like, eh, I don't really like the style of this. Like, it, it just, it worked better here. Uh, I, I thought the action scenes overall played better. I'm trying to think if there's any action scenes that we haven't mentioned that I like. And the only thing that comes to mind is more at the beginning of the movie. I do like the scenes where we see Batman having an action scene where he's solo. And we see Wonder Woman in London with her action scene solo. I enjoy the team dynamics, but I also like seeing the individual uh, dynamics of each character having their own time in the spotlight for an action scene. The scene that I'm thinking of that we haven't talked about is the one in the tunnels and the flash scene as they're all falling and he spins around and pokes the sword back at Diana. I, I, oh my gosh, I, I was giddy as a schoolboy watching that scene because it's just, it's so well done. I, 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 I'm right there with you, John. I feel like the action sequence, they finally kind of refined all of how they want the DCU action scenes to look. And that one was just so much fun to watch. It was just visually exciting. Like you understood the geometry of where you were and watching the flash move through the speed force like that. I felt like they did a good enough job of differentiating themselves from uh, days of future past. So you didn't just feel like you were repeating something you'd seen uh, with Quicksilver that it felt fresh enough um, that, and I just, I, that scene was great. Um, I also liked the, the battle we got in Atlantis when Mara uses her uh, uh, telewater kinesis or whatever they call it in the comics, I can't remember. I'm, 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 I know I'm a bad fan, guys. But when she like, you know, rips apart the water and pulls him out of the water, so he smashes down and she whirls him around. Like all of that was really cool. I thought um, and made me excited to see her more in the Aquaman movie. And then yeah, I just I liked the end battle scene. I thought when they were fighting Steppenwolf. I don't know if you felt like this, but it didn't just feel like CGI fest. It felt like character moments, so it wasn't just CGI character against CGI character. I thought, to me, it worked better than some of the end battles that we've had in recent comic book films, where it does kind of just devolve into, well, this CGI character is bashing this one, and we all know who's going to win. Well, I think that it was a uh, a CGI uh, bash fest, but... I agree with you that they 
were more careful to give fun moments to the characters so that I cared about what was going on. It wasn't just a gimmick of the right song playing or uh, seeing a, a flip that I've never seen before or anything like that. It was actual beats, and it, it just it, it it broke down better. You know, you know, having Alfred say, "I I think we just haven't thought this through." You know, when, when Batman is calling all the parademons, it's, it's a legit funny line to have somebody say, huh, what, what, what's, what's the next thing we're supposed to do about this? You know, when Batman realizes everything is following him or, you know, Aquaman, I dig it. Yeah. You know, like that's, you know, you, you got a character, ha- again, having fun. And I think that's what makes it, um, it ameliorates any of the, the sense that you might have of, oh, yeah, okay, I know that this is just, you know, a bunch of people in front of a green screen and occasionally with a digital double, you know, because you actually like how they're interacting with each other. The, I also think in, in that scene, too, where um, Cyborg has gotten a lift from Flash, and he's like, uh, what do you need? And he's like, well, I got to pull these apart. And he's like, all right. You get technical, I'm on bug duty. And it's just like, again, like you're saying, there's those little character moments that kind of make this work. Or like when Superman comes uh, back and he's like, is this guy still bothering y'all? And, you know, he punches him really hard. You know, those kind of things, I think, made it really... And then, you know, he throws him up against the wall and he punches him in the face and he gives him the laser, you know, I mean, the heat vision and everything. Like, it's just moments like that. It's like those, they, they really get the characters and they give them each a moment to shine. Or when Superman finally uses freeze breath. And Wonder Woman then comes in and just smashes his axe. And he, he's done. You know? Like, yeah. they give everybody that moment to shine. So that it is that sense that, yeah, I did need the team to do this. It wasn't just going to be Superman. It needed to be Wonder Woman and Aquaman and Flash and Cyborg and Batman all working together to make this happen. I think that makes for a fun time the only thing i'll say about the last action sequence is this i think they made a mistake in the colorization of what was happening to the earth i think that those weird things Uh, flowing in and out of the earth needed to not be like neon-y purple you know it needed to be something that looked a lot darker and scarier so it didn't look like weird bubble gummy things coming out of the ground like i I would have made a different visual choice for that to make the weight of what's happening, like the Earth is being turned into Darkseid's planet, which is Apocalypse. And if you've ever seen Apocalypse in the comic books, it does not look like that. So I was yeah. really disappointed that they didn't start showing the transition to Apocalypse and not this kind of like, I don't know, Willy Wonka. Yeah, land. it wasn't as it. It should have been more organic and natural looking. It didn't. It looked more, and because of that, it looked more CGI. It kind yeah. of looked like more cartoony. Yeah. I I just got to say that um, it's really a rough go for Planet Earth uh, in this series of movies because uh, already uh, people have tried to terraform it twice. So yeah. I got to figure, <laughs> you know. Wow, that's a that's a <laughs> yeah. rough go. I, I you know, I, I you know, there there's a sick twisted part of me that wants a short film where 
there's some scientist complaining about the ecological impacts of uh, of these <laughs> villains showing up to the earth. Well, and and it's something. This is what was interesting. So my my friends and I uh, last night we were talking about that, and they somebody said, you know, it would have been nicer if uh, it had been not in the middle of nowhere Russia and been somewhere where you really felt the threat. And mm. my friend goes, well, they did that in Man of Steel, and every hate everybody hated them for it. That's true. So like you can't have it both ways like and 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 that's why we get the whole part with you know the russian family there because you're trying to show that this is going to impact some people um and that these heroes end up caring about these nobodies like because they care about all the earth not just the cities yeah i so, i i would not side with your friend on that i'm glad they put it where they did uh specifically yeah, because me too. Uh, it also enabled you to have the character moment with that family to actually follow that solo yeah, family yeah. through the entire ordeal and give you somebody to be attached to and pay attention mm-hmm. to. I think that's a really that was a really good choice on the part yeah. of the film. And not only that, that was one of the things I I also liked about the movie was it felt international. That it wasn't all taking place mm. in America. I mean, we've seen saw different parts of the world. We were even in the ocean. I mean, we were. It felt more global than just being in one area of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's a really great point, Boost, because it makes these heroes about the earth and that the the league coming together is not about saving one country but it's about saving the world and that that's why they're here i really like that i think that's something i hadn't even thought of and i man great point man um the last thing i want to ask you guys before we get to our ratings is about the music because they changed the composer from junkie xl to danny elfman and Obviously, Junkie XL had worked with uh, Hans Zimmer on both of the previous scores in the Snyder movies that we had gotten here. And I wanted to ask you if it worked to have Danny Elfman come back and specifically bring back some themes that we have not heard in this universe before, specifically Batman and Superman's themes. Uh, What did you guys think? Well, the problem I have with movies is when I leave and somebody asks me about the music, I'm not focused entirely on the music throughout. It's one of those things that I have to see it again or buy the soundtrack. But what I do remember, the music worked for me because I remember enjoying the music at times where I was focused on it. And I love the callbacks, as you just mentioned, to the Superman theme and the Batman. And we got the more recent Wonder Woman. So there was all those hints of different themes in there. And because of the different themes are all scattered throughout the the film like that and not overdone, but just a little hint here and there, it again feels like it's the Justice League. It's bringing the themes together and it's bringing the heroes together. And I just like that blend. So it worked really well. I, uh, I thought it was the wrong voice for the movie. Uh, I think that the, I thought that the visual language of this ties into the earlier films and that this score while there were moments that I enjoyed, I liked the orchestration for Wonder Woman's theme. I thought it was much more tolerable, um, much better, uh, and I didn't, um, I didn't mind including like the Superman theme or the Batman theme. Fine, uh, but it just wasn't the right voice. The it, it as much as I beat up on the other movies at the very least i thought that the voice matched what i was watching on screen i didn't see 
that same kind of matchup here. Yeah. Um, so I had the soundtrack before the movie came out, and I've listened to it repeatedly because I, I, that's my personal preference is I love listening to a soundtrack to see how it plays in the movie because then I can see how that music actually fits with the visual language of the film. And it's interesting because there are cues uh, in the movie that aren't on the soundtrack, um, specifically the, the scene where they go to the Kryptonian ship and they play the Krypton theme uh, from Zimmer's score, that's not in the soundtrack, which is dumb. It should be there uh, because it helps you know that they're going to use, they're going to pay attention to that. Danny Elfman was the wrong choice. Uh, his 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 music here doesn't fit what we know of the DC universe in these films. Um, I thought the Wonder Woman score uh, fit perfectly because we were in a different time period. Um, and it felt enough like what Zimmer had done, but also felt uh, a little bit older, and, th- and that worked. But I don't think the the sound palette that, that he was working with here works for this movie. I think it's a huge mistake to use William's Superman theme when you already have a Superman theme uh, by Zimmer that, by all accounts, is a great Superman theme. It doesn't it doesn't need to be redone. And specifically for this Superman to come back, I felt like that should have been, if if, if you use the old Superman theme, that's fine there uh, in the, the places where you did. But the movie, when it ends with Superman flying off, uh, I, that's where you go right into that Zimmer Superman theme. Just the way Man of Steel ended. And it's a great bookend that the the... This that first movie and this kind of bookend of the phase one ends the same way. And I, I felt like it was really disrespectful to Zimmer for struggling to create something that would sound as as recognizable and epic for Superman. Um, and I think he nailed that with Man of Steel's, uh, you know, what are you going to do when you're not saving the world theme? Uh, and it was very disrespectful him, for him to not even think about using that in the film. Um, and but even there was in the a trailers, little bit of had, it, wasn't there? No, there I is none of it in the film. Um, and there's there's even in the trailers there was an orchestration of it at, at a in a different key, but they were using that theme in one of the trailers for the action, and it was awesome because it was in a different key, but you could hear that it was the same theme. So I I just again I I feel like. Using the Batman theme makes a little bit more sense because uh, Zimmer never really wrote uh, a really specific um, Batman theme that might work for this reformed Batman. So I can I can forgive him that. I just I'm really disappointed and and I don't I'm with you, John. I don't think that it had the right voice for what we got here because I, even the action music doesn't like when you that man of steel action music is so good you know it's that driving like uh, thunderous music uh and it just it it i don't know it just doesn't have the same effect so um lastly and i do mean this lastly before the for the ratings what did you think of our two end credit sequences uh i loved the superman and flash and uh, the the very last post credits thing I thought was cute. Um, I didn't need it. I could have lived without it, but I thought it was cute. 
And it's, uh, I, I'm glad to see that all of those uh, dead shot screen tests we saw weren't for nothing. Uh, I like the Superman Flash scene of them racing. That was great. Uh, and then the last scene, I just thought it was great because it, well, I, I don't want to say great, but I liked it because it's a hint of what's to come. And we got to see, I think, a bit of a change even with Lex Luthor in the more direction yeah, of yeah. what we're expecting of Lex Luthor. I mean, the flash sequence with with the race is just fantastic. Where he's like, I've never seen the Pacific Coast. And Clark's like, it's this way. <laughs> it was just so cute. And the whole thing about him, like, you know, uh, Bruce said something about if uh, I win, you have to buy us all brunch. And he's like, that 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 seems like a bit, that's a betrayal. That Yeah, that stings. Um, and then I, the last credit scene i think was fantastic i mean deathstroke showing up uh and he looks fantastic like i really want to see his movie did that would I, be awesome did i say deathstroke or did i say deadshot uh you said i messed death up shot yeah so it's okay yeah i messed up earlier. Don't worry, man. uh but yeah deathstroke showing up was fantastic and i i agree complete with you bruce i think the way eisenberg is playing lex here feels like a comic book Lex. He's much more reserved. He's he's more calm. He's not quite as frenetic and and wacky and everything. And he feels like that really. I feel like that really scary Lex you get in the comics, where this dude is not to be trifled with. And it also kind of made uh, Suicide Squad make sense. That that they put that there specifically to kind of give you a taste of the villains, so that. When those villains start to show up, maybe in other places in the universe, or maybe they're part of this Injustice League, you know, uh, it, it kind of made that make a little bit more sense to me. Doesn't make Justice League a better movie, but you know, that's that's neither here nor there. So, uh, okay, we have be- we have come down. Uh, we ha- we are about to uh, give our sentencing of Justice League. Bruce, how do you rate Justice League? I left this movie liking it. Uh, we doing that whole scale with the other movies. I would put this maybe slightly. I would put this slightly above Man of Steel and BVS, and right below Wonder Woman. So I would rank it number two for me. Oh wow, that's that's great. Man. I think so. Uh, say if you were going to do this out of ten, what would you give it? Uh Oh, gosh. I, I mean, the fact that we're sitting here going, oh, you know, this could have been better. And if they did this, that doesn't that's not a good sign. But outside of that, what I did get is something I always wish I would see on screen. And that was these characters together in real life on the big screen. And I walked out smiling and enjoying it. So I'd say, you know, for me personally, maybe eight out of ten. That's awesome, man. Uh, what about you, John? Well, I will I will say that um my reaction winds up becoming very similar not exact, but very similar to uh Rogue One in in a large sense where uh, you know there are clunky things in the beginning I don't like, there are some choices I'm not nuts about, there are some things that don't work, but then once the gears line up and start meshing, then I started enjoying it. And I enjoyed the action sequences and I enjoyed some of the stuff that I think had uh, most likely. I, I don't know for sure, but there were there were some scenes where I'm almost positive they were Snyder scenes as opposed to Whedon scenes. And so 
I was surprised because I thought those worked better and I wanted more of them. Uh, I would say Which that... Which is big, saying from, coming from you, the guy who said, I would never see a Zack Snyder movie in a theater again. That is true. Uh, I will. So I just wanted people to have that as a reference. We're, that's what we're talking about. Yes, here. <laughs> and so we will. So historians will debate till the end of time as to how you got me on this episode, considering I came out of charm Batman versus Superman. It's just my charm. I guess. I guess. But uh, I, I would say that you know, I, you know, I hate locking in uh, to reviews, especially the same day I saw a film. But I, like, I would probably put this. Uh, I'm not. I don't want to give it out of 10 because I'm probably like six and a half, seven out of 10, but I will say this, that I enjoyed it um, around the same amount as man of steel, but probably a little more because I like the ending better uh, or, and by ending, I mean like, you know, the, the action sequences and, and you know, some of the characterizations and stuff like that. Um, but again, to compare it to another superhero movie I saw very recently, between this and Thor Ragnarok, I had a better time at this one overall uh, than I did in, in Thor Ragnarok. So there you go. That's awesome, man. I mean, I'm glad you liked it in the end. Um, and I think that that's a cool comparison for you to give with Rogue One because, um, you know, your feelings about Rogue One are definitely out there for everybody to hear. And you like Rogue One. You don't love it. Um, but you still enjoy it as, you know, watching you know, Star Wars and everything like that. And it's like, it's not perfect. So, um, and that's okay. I, I love that. I mean, I'm just really glad to hear that. So if I were to put it this way, you feel like the hate that this movie is getting from like critics and other people seems to be woefully maybe misplaced. It's like ridiculous. Uh, you much. know what? It's, it's ridiculous. I actually did have, uh, I, and I don't want to betray a trust here. I don't think I am betraying a trust here, but when I was talking with Davis, um, you know, after the movie, we were both talking about it's just gotten ridiculous how and not even just in DC movies, but just the way people just come at things with a big old, you know, sledgehammer. And it's just this movie is good. It's not great, but it's also not this train wreck that people are portraying it to be. I don't get it. I don't understand what people are watching where they look at this and like this is terrible i can't believe that Zack snyder should never work again i watched it like i've watched terrible movies i've seen awful awful i watched flash gordon for the first time recently you want to watch a bad movie <laughs> that's a bad movie this is this is not a bad movie it's a good movie it's entertaining the audience i was with a substantial number of people were really happy with it i don't i don't get it i don't get it if you didn't like it, okay, cool. But man, it is not worthy of the flamethrower effect that's getting thrown at it right now. So, yeah, I, I want to ask you guys, so uh, just to, because this is an interesting exercise, and I like that we're talking about this. Um, if you were to give your Rotten Tomatoes score, like if you had your own Rotten Tomatoes, and it's out of 100%, kind of like where would you say this movie should fit on a Rotten Tomatoes score if you thought that the critics were maybe being honest with the film? 65. Yeah, I'd say 65%. Spot on. I agree with you, Bruce. Okay. Yeah. I mean, which is is still a fresh movie. Um, You know, it's not a perfect movie, but it's a movie you're like, yeah, I'd go see that. That's fun. And you'd be like, if somebody asked you, like, yeah, go see it. It's a great time. You're going to have a good fun. Um. 
look, everybody knows, obviously, I'm a huge DC fan, but this movie is, is not perfect. It has some flaws, and the flaws mostly have to do with the pacing. They have to do with the fact that there is not enough time given to the things that we're getting on screen that could have been more epic, that could have been more mythic. And it is disappointing and frustrating to have seen the studio come in and say, no, this has to be this amount of time, um, and that forces you to cut out story. That is not a good way to make films. So DC needs to not do that again, and they need to make sure that if they, as they continue, they allow story to dictate how long something is um, and, and not an artificial time limit because this movie could have been great instead of good if I think they had done that. Snyder, it is very clear from the beginning of Man of Steel that this is kind of, I think, where he wanted to go. Like, you started dark, and you end up at this place where we end this film. Like, it's all meant to lead to this point. And what's frustrating is that instead of being able to fully see that artistic vision completely played out, it's it's been diminished. And that is frustrating. That we're not getting to see that art played out fully in these characters. And, and that's disappointing. But look... I was giddy in the movie. I had a great time with it. I, th- seeing it four times. I saw it twice in one day because of, of what friends wanting to go see it again. Um, and I still was grinning ear to ear with the action sequences and Superman being back and seeing Wonder Woman again and Batman and Flash and Cyborg and Aquaman all working together. Like it, it left me joyful and if i'm going to compare it to anything it feels like the justice league cartoons that dc animated films that they've been doing they put out for home video this feels like that like john you and i watched war recently um and this feels very comparable to that uh in a lot of ways i think um it's just disappointing because i think it could have transcended that if we'd had more time. Uh, In the end, um, I'm with you, Bruce. I put this at an 8 out of 10. Um, uh, And because of the fact that I love these characters, that's the thing that got me through this movie. Uh, For all of the things that I could see that were frustrating, I was always having a good time with The Flash or Aquaman or... uh, uh, Wonder Woman or Batman or of course Superman coming back like all of that really like I'm hungry to see more of these characters now and uh, I hope that we will get all of them in their own films and, and get that opportunity and, and I would love to see another team up film I'd love to see Justice League too um, if I had to give it a Rotten Tomato score I'd say that I feel like this movie is a good 70 to 75 percent like 25 percent of this of this yeah there's this needs to be rejiggled this you know but for the fun i had and for the characters that's what spoke to me and i hope to see more so um and a friend of mine uh from the uh, told me this was his best experience in the theater for comic book movies since 89 batman like that that's how he felt about it so like yeah 
I think that people should give Justice League a chance that you should go see this movie. You got the whole Thanksgiving weekend. Take the family. I think that that's the other thing about this movie we didn't even talk about. This is a lot more family friendly of a film than a lot of the other DC films have been. Um, I think Justice League is definitely a movie that you could take, you know, like nine to 10 year old and above to see. There's not a lot of, I mean, I don't really recall any really sexual references. There's not a ton of cursing in it. Um, you know, so yeah, there yeah. were only like three words that jumped out at me as, uh, well, maybe there were four, but yeah, no, there, there wasn't a whole lot of, uh, whole lot of saucy language. Yeah. So thank you guys so much for talking about this with me. I, it's been a blast getting to talk about justice league with you guys. And, and I really appreciate y'all coming on and, and doing that. And anybody wants to catch up with uh, you, Bruce, and, and talk to you more about justice league or anything else you're doing here on the network, where can they find you, man? Well, thank you for having us on. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And you can find me here on Trek FM doing literary treks about the star Trek books and comics with Dan Gunther and you can also find me with Brandy Jackala doing Live from the Edge, which is a live show that we do at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, the Mondays after a premiere of Star Trek Discovery airs. And then, of course, you can find me in the Babel Conference. And I almost forgot, you can find me talking Star Wars on the Star Wars Report podcast. And John, uh, if anybody wants to catch up with you and talk uh, Justice League or anything else, where can they find you, man? My name is Kessel Junkie out there on the social networks. You can usually find me on Twitter. Uh, You can find me here on Trek.fm, co-hosting Stage 9 with Mike Schindler. You can find me over on the Nerd Party Network, also with Mike Schindler, co-hosting Great Shot Kid, uh, which is uh, going to be going through some very interesting changes very soon. So if you haven't had a chance to check that out, check it out now uh and actually over on the nerd party i'm there with you matt uh co-hosting aggressive negotiations a star wars podcast known for being a bit off the beaten path absolutely i hope that everybody will check that out john uh you could find me on twitter matt rushing 2 i'm on instagram under the same name i'm here in the network doing the orb chris jones talking about star trek deep space nine when we can fit in a recording uh, i'm also on the nerd party network doing Owl Post uh, with Drea Kaufman as we walk one chapter at a time through the entire Harry Potter saga. So make sure you check that out. It's so much fun. And then I'm doing a show with my friend Courtney, as I mentioned earlier, with Cinema Stories. And we talk about films through the lens of faith. So if you enjoy that, we'll actually have our Justice League episode coming out in just a couple of days. Um, and definitely, I think, worth checking out it. I, I will say... Uh, We had a blast talking about the movie there and really picking out some of those spiritual themes that we saw throughout the movie. Uh, And we were actually surprised some of the things we picked out, so I hope you'll check it out. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear?
an ideal to strive towards. They will race behind you. They will stumble. They will fall. But in time, they will join you in the sun. In time, you will help them.